did, and we're going to read just a couple verses here in John, uh, going through the Gospel of John verse by verse, and uh, glad to have you here with us this morning. Had a great revival uh, week uh, with Brother David Peacock, and uh, thankful to have you guys here with us this morning. It, it, we kind of done this in shifts. We had half the church get sick before the revival, and now we got some of them sick after the revival, but we're going to get through all this, so... Uh, John chapter number one, getting toward the end uh, of the chapter, we've been talking about uh, the interactions that Jesus had with Buenos Dias and Mano, como esta? Uh, we're talking about the interactions that Jesus had with Philip and with Nathaniel, with Andrew, with, uh, with Peter. And uh, just, just there's some great lessons there about how to be a soul winner, how to interact with people about the gospel. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't. Uh, if you can simply say to somebody, come and see. Look, uh, Jose said to his friend Jimmy, uh, I, look, I'll answer the questions the best I can, but come and see, and Jimmy got saved, amen? And, and, and that's the story of a lot of you. I mean, uh, Felix, and, and, uh, Felix and, uh, and, and Thomas were at the uh, gas pump at work at the, uh, the city of Denver, and they're talking to Ben and talking to him about God, and he's, I'm sure he has, listen, I know for a fact you must have had questions because every day I get a question from that guy when he's reading his Bible. So I know he has some questions, and I guarantee you know how it probably went, something like this. I don't know, but why don't you come to church and just come and see? And Ben got saved in his life, and his family's life has been transformed because someone said, come and see. Uh, And you can do that. You know, you don't have to know a lot of Bible to do that. You understand? Anyone can be involved in what I call the come and see ministry. So you learn some really good practical lessons uh, by reading God, uh, John chapter 1 as well, some really deep doctrinal stuff. Uh, back in just a little bit of a review, in verse 42, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about how Peter is not the rock. He is a rock or a stone. Jesus Christ is the rock, all right? He is the cornerstone of the church. We talked about that uh, in uh, verse, uh, verses 43, 44, 45. Uh, talked about the interaction that uh, Jesus had with Philip. And what Philip does immediately, right away, is he goes to his friend, look at verse 45, and he says, We have found him. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then look what Nathaniel says in verse 46. Now, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, you know, I remember when I was starting a church in Aurora, and someone's like, oh, that's where Baptists go to die. I'm like, praise the Lord. Thanks for that word of testimony. Uh, you know, and uh, it's just kind of like, is, is Aurora really where you're supposed to be? Yeah, that's what God said, so this, this is where we're at, amen? Uh, but uh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, right? And that's kind of like a, kind of a, it's kind of a slam uh, and kind of a cynical way of looking at things. But, but really what Nathaniel is doing is he's kind of joking with his friend. And you know what his friend Philip responds with? Uh, look down, if you would, at verse 46. Uh, I don't know, why don't you come check it out? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm telling you, uh, uh, Philip, now listen to me, Philip was already following John the Baptist. Philip knew some scripture. Philip could have thrown a lot of things at him, but you know what I think Philip had enough discernment to understand? Not everyone can take everything that you have. Not everyone's ready for all the knowledge that you have. Sometimes the best thing you can say is just come check it out. And so when Nathanael does that, look at verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile, Nathaniel said to him, whence knowest thou me? How do you know who I am? <laughs> what do you mean, talk, what do you mean who, an Israelite in whom is no God? You act as if you knew me and we just met. 
And then Jesus says, answered and said to him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, what's amazing is Nathaniel's response, because I think it's kind of interesting. It's almost like Jesus had his eyes locked on Nathaniel before Nathaniel got there. Are you guys picking up on that as well? Like he was watching him from afar, and Nathaniel gets there, and he's kind of enamored with that, but his response is very telling about Nathaniel. Nathaniel is kind of a black and white guy, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he meets Jesus, he's like, man, you're, you're it, you're it, you're the one. Uh, look at verse 49. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said, by the way, those two titles, the Son of God and the King of Israel, they're both very important because both of those combined is what makes, that, that is the definition of the Messiah. The Messiah would be of the seed of David, he would sit on David's throne, and yet he also had to be of the seed of God. In other words, he could not just be a regular man born of a regular birth, he had to have been born of a virgin, the son of God, sinless and pure, and yet the promised uh, uh, child, the promised son of David's line. Both of those components together is what makes the Messiah the Messiah. All right, so by the way, that's why Jesus said there'll be many Christ, many, many will come in my name, and many will say this, and many will say that, uh, but they don't all have my description, all right? They're not all the Son of God, they're not all the Son of David. And so uh, when Nathaniel says this, it's very telling. Look at verse 50. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, by the way, let me say this. When you get saved and you meet the Lord, I'm just kind of throwing some practical things in here, a little thought for you. When you get saved and you get to know the Lord, uh, God doesn't show you everything that's going to happen in your Christian life all at one time. If he did, you would not be able to handle it. And you might go, let me take that decision back. Right? So what the Lord does is he tells Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than these. And he goes on to say this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, that's a, a real tricky verse for a lot of people. We're going to try to make sense of that. But let me go back up, if I could, back to uh, what we find here in verse number 45. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the prophets uh, because it's very, very important you understand. I got some notes on the board as well. And uh, let me just show this to you real quickly. Uh, this is one with 38 zeros after it. I think technically the number is one with 37 zeros after it. Uh, but I think you guys get the picture. Uh, you say, what, is this, what does this odd or this gambling odd represent? This represents every prophecy about the life of Jesus Christ that's spoken of in the Old Testament that actually came to fruition in the New Testament uh, the odds of that happening is one with that many zeros behind it. That's pretty impressive, guys. All right, so, so we're reminded over in Revelation, I believe it's in chapter number 21, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, correct me on that later. But uh, it, it, it says that the, spirit, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what makes Jesus Christ different among an, a number of things, one of which is he's sinless. Number two, he arose from the dead on his own. His body's not in the grave. Amen. Thank God for that. And the other one is the fact that there's prophecy connected to his entire life. 
Prophecy about his birth, prophecy about his ministry, prophecy about his rejection, prophecy about his trial, prophecy about his crucifixion, prophecy about his resurrection, prophecy about those that would dis- uh, his disciples, prophecy about his next coming. All of that going into one man and all of it coming true on the money every single time, that's an impressive thing. And that's something that you can't just ignore. When someone says, well, I just don't believe the Bible because this and this and this, and you present that, if they're intellectually honest, at least they'll pause and they'll consider that. Whether they like the Bible or not, if they're intellectually... Now listen, some people today are not intellectually honest. No matter what you say, it it doesn't matter what you say, they're going to have a problem with it because the real issue is sin. They don't want the Bible or God exposing sin in their life, all right? You know what I want? If if I'm a lost person and I want to defile my conscience and I don't want to think about sin... I want to make God some long, uh, 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 bearded, white bearded, you know, senile old man sitting. And I'm not trying to be blasphemous here at all. But if I was lost, that's what I would want. I want an impersonal God that doesn't have anything to do with my life at all. But you know what? That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is very interested in your everyday life. He's interested in your thoughts. He's interested in your motives. He's interested in your actions, interested in your words, interested in your relationships. And so when you look at the prophecies of Jesus Christ and how they come true on the money, it points us to the fact that that book is not written by man. That book is written by God. (laughs) Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the what? Holy Ghost, right? And so uh, again, we're going to look at a couple of things. I want to look at some scripture right now in regards to some of these prophecies. So just go to uh, uh, Psalm chapter 22. And what we're going to do is this. Here's the exercise. We're going to flip from Old Testament to New Testament and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Now, the exercise may get a little bit tiring, but can I just suggest to you that I've got about, I don't know, what is this, maybe a little bit over 10 prophecies right here. There are thousands in your Bible. Now, if you think it's tiring to go through this, go through every single one of them, not even counting the verses where there's a type or a picture or a shadow of Jesus to come. All right, look at uh, Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter number 22. And uh, this is what you, if you're taking notes in your Bible, because it says uh, when Philip is describing Jesus to Nathanael, he says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. So there are two witnesses uh, right off the bat to the life of Jesus Christ. By the way, the, the Bible says without, uh, with two or three witnesses, let every word be established. You read about that in Matthew. You read about that in 2 Corinthians as well. Paul quotes Jesus having said that when he writes a letter to the Corinthian church. So th- in other words, you could not try a man with only one witness. You had to have at least two to three witnesses to have a word be established in a, in a court of law in the Old Testament uh, uh, Jewish, uh, we'll call it a theocracy, under God. And, and so, in other words, you couldn't have someone go, well, I saw him do this. Any other witnesses? Nope, but I hate him. I mean, he did it, right? You, you couldn't have it work that way. So uh, the Bible says, according to the law, you had to have two or three witnesses establish a word. Well, uh, the, the law and the prophets point to Jesus Christ. If nothing else in your Bible did, which several other witnesses do. You've got the centurion that says, truly, this was the Son of God. All right, you've got uh, uh, Nicodemus that follows him, that makes the same claim. Uh, You've got John the Baptist that says, uh, this is the the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You've got a whole bunch of witnesses outside of that, but let's just start with the law and the prophets. So when it comes to prophecy, uh, Psalm chapter 22 is what we would call a a messianic uh, psalm. And what that means is it is a psalm that points to the Messiah. If you're taking notes, you can write. Let me, if you're not sure how to write that, let me just get this here on the board. I know you can Google it, but uh, save you the time of doing that. All right. 
So it, it, obviously this comes from the word Messiah, all right? And all that means is uh, Messiah just means the anointed of God, right? And that's why in the Old Testament they would anoint the prophets and they would anoint the priests and they would anoint the kings. And Jesus Christ is all three of those, prophet, priest, and king in one. Uh, look at Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22. And look at the first verse. And I want to ask you, if you're familiar with your New Testament, does this not sound familiar? All right, look, look at verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I, I don't want to be blasphemous and invoke a movie uh, uh, into Bible study, but the, uh, the, the Lion, which the C.S. Lewis movies, anybody know what I'm talking about? Remember the scene where the lion dies and he's on top of a stone? Remember that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. Uh, I know some of you are too spiritual to watch that stuff. Whatever. I saw it years ago. And, and, and when I saw that, I remember, I, I'm, not even, I'm not kidding about this. I, I started crying. And I said, what is wrong with you, man? And, 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 and the reason why is, is I immediately connected to that, that, that image. And I was like, that's what my Savior did for me. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah roared, and he kept his mouth, he, listen, he kept his mouth quiet as a lamb during his trial, but he roared his voice up to God the Father. How about that? So, in other words, think about this, those that were accusing him, those that were slapping him, those that were abusing him, those that were mocking him, he was quiet with them. And then with his father, he let it all pour out. You know, that's a great, that's a great reminder when you're having trouble with people. Quit spending so much time talking to people, spend more time talking to God about it. But, but, he, he, but, but it's clear, 20, uh, Psalm 22, verse 1, this is not just about David's life. Look at Matthew chapter 27. And keep your hand in Psalm 22, Matthew 27. What I would encourage you to do, and, and this is a great way to learn your Bible, great way to study your Bible, um, is, is what we call cross-references. Cross-references, meaning this, that when you find Psalm 22, verse 1, in the margin of Psalm 22 in your Bible, right next to Psalm 22, verse 1, you just write the, 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 the reference, Matthew chapter 27, uh, verse number 46. And when you get to Matthew, and you get to that verse, on the side of Matthew 27, 46, you write Psalm 22, verse 1. That's how you get a chain reference in your Bible that you put together on your own, which I'm not against chain reference Bibles, but there's nothing like you writing it out yourself. All right, so look at Matthew 27, look at verse number uh, 46. And about the ninth hour, that would have been about three o'clock in the afternoon based on the Jewish day, Jesus, cri uh, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You say, what's he doing? He's, he's quoting Psalm 22. Well, who told him to do that? Nobody. How come you don't read about anybody else saying that in your Bible? The only person that says it in the Old Testament is David. He's looking forward to an event. Now, you've got to understand this. There, there are people that write things in the Old Testament. They don't completely understand everything that they're writing. God inspired them. God moved them, and they spoke those words, and they're written down. Thank God. Listen to that, guys. Can you imagine? Think, anybody here have an old book in your house like you've had for like 20 years, and it's all beat up, you know? And, 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 and imagine a book like this written on papyrus which is basically leaf paper from the, uh, the the egyptian Nile river area and you write on that thing with ink and then over about five years it gets smudged and before you know it, you can barely read the writing imagine god preserving over thousands of years his exact words so you could know what he wants you to know about him in 2022 how awesome is that and david spoke that and wrote that down i don't know that david fully understood that 
But I know this much. I know Jesus Christ knew when he was in that moment on the cross that those words that were spoken in Psalm 22 were about him. All right, go back to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22, look if you would. And we're going to go back and forth, so just keep your hand in the New Testament. Uh, Psalm 22, look if you would at verse number uh, 7 and 8. Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. Hey, you ever heard someone say, quit shooting your mouth off? You know that's from a 1611 Bible? That's from an outdated, archaic, 400-some-year-old book. The modern language, they don't realize how much is from the Bible, all right? When it talks about money flying, we have people talking about my money's, you know, flying away, and, you know, you say, where's that come from, Ecclesiastes? Uh, two are better than one, where's that from, Ecclesiastes? I could go on and on. All that stuff's from your Bible. Uh, modern colloquialisms, but look at verse 7, or verse 8, rather. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Now, someone's in trouble in Psalm 22, and uh, it's clear that someone's making fun of the person that's in trouble. Now, you can make an argument from a doctrinal, prophetic standpoint. There's double application. One is to the life of Jesus Christ, and one is to the nation of Israel and the Great Tribulation. But let's stick with the first one, because that's the one that really matters the most. Go to Matthew chapter number 27. Go back to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Look, if you would, at verse 41. Matthew 27, verse 41, likewise also. Now, I told you, it's going to kind of get a little tiring after a while, going back and forth, but I want you to see this. I could, I could just put the references up here and you never look them up, but it's much more impactful for you to take the time to look at them yourself. Uh, look at verse 41, likewise also the chief priests mocking him. You know what they're doing? They're shooting out the lip. With the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, that's, there's that challenge, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Now, look at verse 43. You just read it in Psalm 22. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. Now, how did those people that are making fun of Jesus Christ have any idea they were going to fulfill prophecy? You know what's really weird? They were supposed to be the ones that knew the Old Testament. And here they are speaking the exact words from Psalm chapter 22. They are living out prophecy, whether they realize it or not, when they're mocking Jesus Christ. All right, go back to Psalm chapter 22. Look, if you would, at verse number 16. Let me ask you a question. If this is just, if Psalm 22, which, by the way, is a Psalm of David, if Psalm 22 is just David talking about trouble in his life, can you please explain verse 16? Look, look at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. David never got his hands pierced. He never got his feet pierced. If this is just a reference to David's life, guys, something's off here. This is not just a reference to David's life. There, there's something else. David is pointing to someone else. How much of this David understands, I don't know. But I know this much. The, Lord is, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to say this, and someone is recording this and writing down prophecy about what Jesus Christ is going to experience. Go, go to uh, John chapter number 19. John chapter 19. John 19, and we'll go to Zechariah as well. John chapter 19. If you don't know where Zechariah is, it's the second to last book in your Old Testament. So if you can find Matthew, and you go two books to the left, you're there. Remember when you first got saved, you didn't know where all the books of the Bible were? And that's okay. That's all right. Uh, you, you'll learn, if you just stick with it, you'll find them after a while. Uh, look at, uh, uh, where did I go? John chapter 19. John 19, look at verse number uh, 36. 
For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. That's another reference. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Well, where's this coming from? They pierced my hands and my feet. All right. So they're looking on him whose hands and feet were pierced. But let me show you the connection between Psalm 22, John 19, and Zechariah. So go to Zechariah chapter number 12. The Bible's like a puzzle, isn't it? And it kind of all fits together. If you can learn how to rightly divide the scriptures, it all makes sense. Uh, Zechariah chapter number 12. Zechariah chapter number 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Look, if you would, at verse number 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will see. Now, let me just stop real quick. Before I read this, I need you to understand something. There are verses in the Bible or prophecies in the Bible where part of it can apply to the first coming and part of it can apply to the second coming. All right. And and the reason for that is this. In the Old Testament, the one thing the Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, right, that the thing that we are celebrating this month and thanking God for the church. All right. Uh, now, in more particular sense, we're, we're celebrating our church, thanking God for it, and you know I love my church and all that. But the church at large, the, born, uh, the body of Christ, born-again believers from all over the world, all right, the, the church itself, you know what the Bible says about that in Ephesians 5? It calls it a mystery. Those of you that are in discipleship class, lesson number 12, we got through one mystery uh, last time we did it, and we got six more to go, so let's see how far we get. But, um, but anyways, uh, you say, why was it called a mystery? Because the prophets back here could not see this. All that they could see, all right, was prophecy about his first coming and his second coming together. You say, why would they be put together? Because if Israel receives their Messiah, they would be together. When I say together, separated by three and a half years at maximum. But, but, but what I'm getting at is this. You need to understand, they did not see the division between first and second coming. All they saw it was as one. So sometimes you read something in your Old Testament that's a prophecy about the life of Jesus Christ, and part of it refers to his first coming, and part of it refers to his second coming. So in light of that, look at Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, look if you would at verse... Now some of you are like, I didn't know all this was in John. Amen, that's the point of this. That's the point of the exercise. Uh, Zechariah 12, look at, at verse number 9. And it shall come to pass. That means it hasn't happened yet. It's prophecy. In that day, that's called the day of the Lord in your, your Old Testament that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Real quick question. Does that sound like first coming or second coming to you? All right. In other words, did Jesus wage war in his first coming? No, he did not. When his disciples pull out a sword, does he not say, my kingdom is not now of this world? Remember that? All right. But when he comes back the second time, listen, his his coming the second time is kicked off with a battle. All right. It's the, the battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19. So look what it says here in verse number 10. And I will pour upon the house of David, this is Israel as a nation being restored to their God, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And then watch this. And they shall look upon me whom they have what? Now, now, isn't that interesting? Then in John 19, it applies it to the first coming, but clearly Zechariah 12 is applying it to the second coming. And Psalm 22 is applying it to both. You say, what's this all about? Well, the, the whole point is this, is that when it comes to your Bible and the prophecies about Jesus Christ, 
You need to learn to rightly divide your Bible and understand sometimes it's talking about his first coming. Sometimes it's talking about his second. In this case, this refers to both because at the crucifixion, the nation is looking on him whom they pierced. And at his second coming, they're going to mourn for him because they're going to realize they accepted a false Messiah instead of the real one. And they're going to repent and turn to the real true Messiah at his second coming. You say, what is that? It's called the restoration of Israel. That's what Zechariah 12 is all about. So literally, in, in, in that one prophecy in Psalm 22, you have a, a reference to his first coming, his crucifixion, and his second coming. Guys, let me ask you a question. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph and his brothers, they sell him into slavery, all right? Uh, it, Joseph is not just a Broadway play, okay? He's not the, the multi-technicolor uh, coat or whatever that thing is. Uh, Joseph is a story in your Bible, and, and Joseph is the son of Jacob, and he's the favorite, clearly the, the favorite, and uh, there's a lesson in there. Don't play favorites with your kids. That messes your kids up, all right? Uh, not a good idea. Uh, and I'm thankful God doesn't play favorites with any of us. Amen? Uh, I sometimes feel like his favorite because he spoils me to death. But I, I thank God that we all should feel, we should all feel that way. You should all feel. If you're like, wow, God doesn't do anything for me. You're breathing right now. You should thank God for that. Yeah. All right? Uh, but, but when Joseph, what ends up happening with Joseph is he's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's sold out for X amount of pieces of silver. Question. Who does that remind you of? Judas sells out his brother from the same tri- from the same nation, and he sells him out to the to the to the Gentiles for money, to the Romans for money. You know what they did with Joseph? They sold him to the Midianites, and he ends up being a slave in Egypt. And you say, what happens? Well, Joseph is forsaken. Joseph is put in a prison more than once. He's brought out of the prison, and he's getting thrown back in the prison. And, and you say, what happens eventually? He's elevated out of that, and God takes care of him, and God blesses him, and God makes him the second most powerful in the land. You say, what is that? It's a great picture of Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity. And then at the end of the story, who shows up? His brothers show up. And his brothers are like, oh, no, he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us and exact revenge on us. And he goes, no, you guys got it all wrong because what you meant for evil, God meant for what? So, so when the nation sold out their Savior, you know what that means? A bunch of Gentiles got in on it. Thank God for that. All right? So what, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. And so what happens is this. All right? When Joseph, at the end of that story, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and he goes, guys, I'm Joseph. Remember that? Uh, and all of a sudden, they're, they're scared, and they, they're, they think they're in trouble. And Joseph tries to comfort them. You say, what's that a picture of? When Jesus comes back in the second coming to his own nation that rejected him and put the nails in there themselves, they're responsible for that. He goes, look, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to comfort you. And he restores the nation unto himself. You say, man, that's wild that all that's in that one thing. Yeah, that's the whole point of getting to learn your Bible. Is it in Psalm 22? David, I don't know if he understands it or not. He's prophesying about the crucifixion, but it has a double application, first coming and second coming. Let's keep going, though. All right. Now, I'll go back to Psalm 22. We won't skip back to the New Testament for this one because we already read the verse. But look at Psalm 22 one more time. Psalm chapter 22. Do you guys remember when Jesus is on the cross and the Roman soldiers come to break the legs of the prisoners? You remember that? Anybody know why they would do that? That's it. So you're hanging there, and, and, and you're basically, you, you know that you can't continue to use your upper body strength. Every time you do that, this is continuing to rip. So you start to use your lower body to pick yourself up, because as your body slumps down over time on the cross, 
your lungs fill with fluid, and you literally start to asphyxiate from just that, that struggle. And so they would do this, and they use their lower body. So you know what the Roman soldiers would do? I'm talking, crucifixion was a nasty way to die. You know what those Roman soldiers would do? They would come and break the legs of those prisoners. And you know what happens when they come to Jesus Christ? He had already given up the ghost. So they don't break his bones. Look at Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22, look if you would, at verse number 17. Let me ask you a question. You think your King James Bible is outdated? Let me ask, what, is the, what is the ATM? Anybody know what an ATM is? Anybody know what it stands for? Teller machine? Well, who says tell anymore to count stuff? When you go to the bank and you go to that person behind the window, they're called a bank what? Okay, you know what they're doing? They're telling. They're counting money. So look at Psalm 22. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 17. I may tell. It means you can count. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. You know, that's fulfilled over, in the, we just read it in John chapter 19, in verse number 36, you say, why? Because they went to break his legs, but he was already gone. He'd already given up the ghost. And so, you know what? Not a bone of him was broken, the Bible says. All right, so, so th- th- we're going to keep going, though. Look at uh, Psalm 22, verse number 18. Psalm 22, verse 18. All right, it says this, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You see what are they doing? They're gambling and making a joke out of gambling for the clothes of Jesus Christ. All right, now go, if you would, to the New Testament. Go to uh, John chapter 19 and Matthew chapter 27. By the way, uh, I read a book. I, I can't remember the name of it right now, but I, I had about had it up to here with people saying the Gospels contradict. And uh, oftentimes what they're doing, and I don't mean to be ugly when I say this, but it's just lazy reading. When you read something in one place and you read something in another place and it looks like it contradicts, you, you ought to at least take the time to read the context. Uh, read what's going on around there. Uh, and oftentimes, great example, I was talking with Brother Haffey about this before church. Uh, over in Mark, you read about the maniac of Gadara. Anybody remember that story? The man that, that is living in the tombs and he's cutting himself. And he honestly, he sounds like he's manic depressive. He really does. He's cutting himself with stones. He's hurting himself. He's weeping all the time. He has unnatural strength. They try to bind him with chains, and they can't. Uh, and, and you see, was it? it's demonic power. And so he's filled with the devil, and the Lord heals him, and he's sitting. At the end of the story, he's sitting, and he's clothed, and he, he's in his right mind. And when the town sees that, they're afraid. I'm like, are you kidding me? You should have been afraid when he was filled with the devil. Now he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's like some of you get saved. You used to be a, a, you know, a, a, a jerk to your wife. You you know, drink like a fish. You couldn't control your temper. Now you're coming to church on Sunday. You're raising your kids with a Bible, and they're like, he's such a freak now. <laughs> right? Okay, so, 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 so the town comes, and they see the maniac, and they're like, oh, we're, this isn't right. Something's wrong with him. You're right. Something's wrong with him. He met Jesus. He's better now than he's ever been. <laughs> but that's the story according to the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about two people that are running through there in, in that graveyard area. So you go, oh, it's a contradiction. No, it means there were two, but God highlights something about the, guy, the one guy in Mark chapter 5. Let me ask you a question. You ever been somewhere and there's two people that are there physically, but you end up talking about one of them because they stand out more than the other? I mean, shouldn't we offer the same courtesy to the Lord? <laughs> Uh, so, so, so there's not, there's not contradiction as much as it is a matter of complimenting each other, but look at, uh, John chapter number 19, 
John 19 in regards to this. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 24. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it. In other words, let's not break his clothes, but cast lots for it. Let's gamble for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith? They parted. Now, let me ask you a question. You think any Romans knew the Old Testament? <laughs> Man, they're too busy worshiping Jupiter and Venus, and they have no interest in... Le- they, could, they thought the Jewish religion was beneath them. You say, why? Because they beat them and they conquered them. I'm not saying it was beneath them. I'm saying that's what they thought. And so the Romans look at the Jews' religion and go, I don't, you, you don't make any sense. Whatever with your one true God, we like having lots of gods. We like doing it our way. By the way, our gods must be with us because we beat you. And that's how the Gentiles think, right? That's why right now over between Russia and Ukraine, you, you, we read the prayer letter from the missionary. All right, uh, the, the, the fact that everywhere you go, people are saying, God is with us, God is with us. That's a, a real powerful thing whenever you're winning. But let me just say this, just because you're winning in the moment doesn't mean God's with you, not long term. And I'm not trying to make a political statement about Russia and Ukraine. I'm simply using that to illustrate something, which is this. The Romans could care less about the Jews' God and the Jews' scriptures. So for us to go look at what's going on in the narrative of the story and see what they're doing and how it fulfills Scripture from Psalm 22 when they had no clue about Psalm 22, that's pretty fascinating. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. This is taking a little more time than I expected it would, but isn't that just how it goes? Amen. I, I think it's worth taking the time for you guys to look at these, though. I want you to get to know these. These are some important ones, and we've got a couple more. Uh, after this, where we look at the verse where it says the scripture might be fulfilled. Look at Matthew 27. Matthew 27 on this same idea. Look at verse number 35. Matthew 27, verse 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots, and sitting down they watched him there. You, you know what, they, what it says in Psalm? They looked at him. They looked at him. So literally, they are fulfilling Scripture and don't even realize it. Do you realize when, when someone gets saved, they're fulfilling Scripture and they don't realize it? Do you realize when someone rejects Jesus Christ? And I don't, I don't like mentioning this, but it's a true fact. When someone rejects Jesus Christ and they die and their breath leaves their body and their soul departs to hell, they're fulfilling Scripture. Because it's what Jesus prophesied would happen if you rejected the gift of eternal life. People fulfill Scripture all the time and don't realize it. All right, the Romans are fulfilling it right there. They have no clue. Look at Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah 53, another great passage that points out, uh, if you were to write anything in the margin of Isaiah 53, you could probably put there the suffering servant, the suffering servant talking about Jesus in prophecy. Isaiah 53, look at verse uh, number one, just to get some context. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, in other words, he's not a, he's, Jesus wasn't a male model. All right, so, so some of the movies that, you know, put out this really handsome looking guy with a very charming smile, probably not what he looked like. All right, that's what it's saying in that passage. Now, what's interesting about that is that if you're saved, Jesus is the most beautiful person you know. So beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, but, but look what it says here in verse number three. He's despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, look down at verse number five. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and have, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Now, if you're saying, well, you're inserting Jesus. It doesn't say Jesus. Look at the next verse. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, not dumb as in stupid, but dumb as in mute, mute doesn't speak. So he openeth not his mouth. Now, if you would go to uh, Acts chapter number eight, New Testament, Acts chapter number eight. Acts chapter number eight, you're going to see someone preach about Jesus. Acts chapter number eight. And you say, who is this? Well, ironically, it's Philip who we're learning about in the gospel of John. And Philip leaves the the crowds in Samaria, the revival that's going on. He leaves the razzle dazzle. I like that because you know what it shows? Someone that's willing to actually be a minister to people is willing to leave the the show and the popularity and the fame to just go deal with one sinner. And, and that's what Philip did. And so as Philip is interacting with this guy, he goes, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy goes, how can I lest some man should guide me? And then he starts showing him what he's reading. Uh, look at uh, verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. That's when he's crucified. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the what? Prophet. The prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him what? All right, look at John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19. John chapter 19. And let me show you this literally being lived out. John 19, look at verse number 8. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Talking about Jesus being the Son of God. And went again into the judgment hall, verse 9, and saith unto Jesus. What does he say? Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him what? You say, why? He was silent before his prosecutors. Silent before those who were falsely accusing him. All right, Those who were accusing him of blasphemy when he wasn't, he was fulfilling scripture by being the Messiah. He kept his mouth shut. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone accuse you of something? Are you always quiet? People say, I want to be more like Jesus. Do you? It's hard. But I can tell you this, it's right. You know what Jesus knew? I, I know, I know I, I'm going to let all this go because I'll just show them when I rise from the dead. And you know what you can learn to do as a Christian? I'll, let that, I'll leave that in God's hands and I'll let God show them in my testimony in my life. Sometimes that's a great thing to do. Now the point is this, Jesus did not open his mouth just like it was prophesied when he was talking about his, his, his trial and eventually his crucifixion. Now for sake of time, I'm not going to go through the last two We're going to go on to the next slide, but it talks about where he would be born. Bethlehem, Micah 5, verse 2. You read about that in Matthew 2, 6. And and, and in Matthew 4, when he starts his ministry, um, something is quoted that is found in Isaiah chapter 9, 
uh, verses 1 and 2, talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're going to go on to the next slide, though, all right? And again, uh, look at uh, Matthew chapter 7 in one hand, Matthew 1, excuse me, in one hand, and Isaiah chapter 7 in the other, all right? Talking about how Jesus would be born, how Jesus would be born. Matthew chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 1. Someone says, I don't believe he was born of a virgin. Okay, free country. Believe whatever you want. But it does not explain the prophecy that's there, the fulfillment of it. And let's just say that's all wrong. Can you tell me what happened to his body after he died? Because every other sinner I know that's born in normal, natural birth dies and goes in the ground, and they don't come up until God calls them up. Jesus says, I lay down my life, and if I lay it down, I'll take it back again. That's different than you and me. And you know what points to his, his, his purity as being born of a virgin? The fact that he didn't sin, and the fact that because he didn't sin, he rose from the dead. You can't do that on your own. All right, look at Matthew 1, verse 22. Now, uh, go back to verse, I'm sorry, uh, verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, talking to Joseph. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take him to marry thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the what? All right, and she shall bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is the New Testament uh, Greek uh, uh, form of the Old Testament uh, Hebrew form of Joshua. All right, it just means the Savior. Now, all the, it means Jehovah saves, God saves. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Where is that found? Go back to Isaiah chapter number 7. Isaiah chapter number 7. And if you know the verse, that's awesome. I would challenge you to make sure you have the cross-reference in there. So when you're talking to people about prophecy from the Bible, you can show them what it is you're referring to. All right, look at Isaiah, sorry, Isaiah chapter 7, uh, verse number 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And let me just stop right now. Let's say you're an Old Testament Sabbath-observing, pork-abstaining Jew. And you read that. Do you believe it? Now, if you, if you take God at his word, you believe it literally. You know what that means? Someone's coming that's going to be born of a virgin. Now, if you reject Jesus Christ as being the Messiah, you know what that means? Someone's coming. Now, you may not pick up what I'm dropping right now. Let me help you out a little bit. When the Antichrist shows up, he's going to be, the Bible says he will not esteem the God of his fathers. The insinuation from Scripture is that he's going to have an affinity with the nation of Israel. Otherwise, why would they ever follow him? He's going to show up and present himself as a Messiah. What I believe is going to happen is he's going to present himself as being born of a virgin. And he's going to deceive not just them, but the entire world into believing that Jesus Christ was not the Messiah. As a matter of fact, that old, that, that, all that divisive religious stuff that you, that you had before the rapture, we're going to take care of that. I'm here to settle the score. Follow me. The, the reason why it's dangerous to ignore Isaiah 7 and ignore the New Testament is this. If you don't believe Jesus was a fulfillment, you know what? That, that puts you in a corner to believe. Someone's going to have to come. It's going to be born of a virgin. So who is that someone? I've got the answer, but you're not going to like it. It's the Antichrist. And he's going to deceive the entire world. And so here you have prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ being born of a virgin. And so it happens in Matthew 
chapter number one. All right, let me give you something else. We're going to skip through a lot of these because we don't have time to go through all of them. Uh, but look at, uh, let's see here, uh, Zechariah. Zechariah, second to last book of your uh, Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13. Now, you may go, well, this is kind of deep doctrinal prop- prophecy stuff. I'm not really getting a whole lot practically. Let me give you this to chew on. If God can put a book together like this and God can line everything up just on the money like this throughout his word, you know what that means? God, God, God has you. God knows what's going on in your life. He can take care of your issues. The things that you think, oh, the God can't handle this, trust me. You're, you're, I, this happens to me all the time. People go, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. And they lay it out. I'm like, look, I, I'm not in your shoes. I'm not making light of it, but I know this much. We have a God who has seen this before, and he can deal with it. All right, look at Zechariah 13. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 5. But he shall say, I am no prophet. I am an husbandman, for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say to him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. You know what happened? He was wounded. Well, what do you mean by wounded? Well, two things. Obviously, he's crucified and betrayed by Judas. But furthermore, let me say this. He's forsaken by his disciples. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. His disciples forsake him. Now, they don't do it forever, but they do it for a moment and a time. You know what's a great picture of? How many, how many of you are saved this morning? You know you've been born again, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, all right? And you're trying to follow Jesus Christ, which means you're trying to be a disciple. You're trying to be disciplined in following him. That's what makes a disciple a disciple, the discipline of following him. Do you always follow him as you should? Or do you, in moments of your life, go, you know what? I don't want to be here for this chapter. And kind of just step back. All right? Thank God he doesn't throw us away when we mess up. The disciples got a second chance. Of course, the exception being Judas for obvious reasons. But uh, look, if you would, at Matthew chapter number 26. Uh, Matthew uh, 26, verse number 55. 55. And it says, But all this was done, that the scriptures of uh, the prophets might be fulfilled, and all the disciples forsook him. I'm sorry, verse 56, forgive me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. See, what did they do? They forsook him. They fled. You know what he was? He was wounded in the house of his friends. You know what hurts really bad? It's one thing when your enemies hurt you. So like being on the cross and having the, the, the people that hated Jesus yelling at him, he expected that. That was kind of par for the course. Your friends in your most lonely hour deserting you, that hurts. That hurts. Any here ever been hurt by family? Doesn't that sting a little bit more? Yeah. Hurt by a close friend, it stings a little bit more. He was wounded in the house of his friends, not only physically, but emotionally. You say, what are we seeing over and over and over and over and over and over? Prophecy from the Old Testament fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Go back to John chapter number one. John chapter number one. We're going to close with this thought. John chapter number one. We have got to fix that clock. It's about four minutes behind. So, uh, yeah, that's not, that's not good. That's not good. I'm looking at the clock on this and the clock on that. We had to get that fixed. Uh, John chapter number one, and I just want to point out to you um, what, what it says here in regards to the law and the prophets. We're going to delve into this further again next week. John chapter number one, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, 45. Verse 45, when Philip's talking to Nathaniel, we have found him 
of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Now, uh, we're going to go through some verses. Uh, let me give you at least one of them. Look at Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to go through more next week. Matthew chapter 7. All right. Look at verse number 12. And what you're going to find over and over in the ministry of Jesus Christ is he references the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. And what we're going to find out is that these are the two witnesses, the law and the prophets. And, and the law and the prophets are actually embodied by certain people. And those two people are Moses and Elijah. And we'll, read, we'll learn about all that stuff next time. But let me just give you this much. I'll plant a teaser, a seed in your mind. Where's the body of Moses? Nobody knows. Matter of fact, there's an argument that goes on in a spiritual battle over that thing. You read about that, I believe it's in the, in the, the book of Jude. All right? Uh, no one knows where the body of Moses is. God buried him. That's what the Bible says. You can believe it or not, but I believe the Bible. All right? God buried him. No one knows where he is. Where's the, mo- the body of Elijah? It's not here either. Do you know why? God took him up. And so these two characters are going to show up again in the future. And the reason you read about the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, is because they fulfill, they point us to Jesus Christ. Now look at Matthew 7 and verse 12, and we'll stop here. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. What do we call that? The golden rule, right? Whatever you want done to you, do unto others, right? Uh, Jesus actually goes a step further later in the Gospels and talks about going another, uh, that second mile, going a little bit further. You know what you ought to do? Uh, sometimes there's people that I don't like, and I don't care if you hate me, because I don't like you either. <laughs> right? So if I'm going to do to you like I'd want done to me, I'll hate you, sucker, because I know you hate me. That's all right. But, but what he does later on is he goes, hey, that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. All right? Whether you like him or not. Some of you got some neighbors I can tell you, you don't like. <laughs> you need to pray for them. All right? Look at, uh, look at verse 12. Now look what it says here at the end. For this is the what? Law and the prophets. And it points, uh, I told you one more. Look at one more. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Just a little bit to the left. Matthew 5. Look at verse 17. I promise, I promise after that we'll pray, we'll be done. Verse 17. Who believes me? Who doesn't? All right. Bunch of, man, I don't feel like, I, I've been wounded in the house of my friends, guys. <laughs> wounded in the house of my, look at Matthew 5, verse 17. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. Look at that. You see that connection? Law and the prophets, law and the prophets, law and the prophets. All right. I am not come to destroy, but to what? Fulfill. Fulfill. All right. So Jesus is the fulfillment of both of those components of the Old Testament. Let's go ahead and stop right there. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. And hopefully you learned, if nothing else, that God, God has got you. <laughs> He's got you covered, man. He can, if he can lay out the Bible the way he has and, and lay out prophecy and have it come true on the money uh, over and over and over, he's got your issues in your life. Let's go uh, to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to ask uh, Brother Felix if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer, sir.